So this is Palm Sunday. The word uh, that often gets said, Hosanna, uh, literally means uh, you've saved us or he has saved us. It was the the language that was used for the returning kings when they came back victorious from battle. And so the people would have taken palm branches, get your palm branches out. People would have taken palm branches and they would have waved them as the, the king returned and they would have shouted, repeat after me, Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. So how did we get from Hosanna on Sunday to standing in the courtyard on Friday shouting crucify him? Let's pray. Mighty Father, we come on this morning. We ask you to be in the midst of us, to open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, to speak into us. May the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And before I get into this, I'm going to tell you, if you, uh, if you can and you're willing, you ought to come at 11. If you weren't here at 8.15, you ought to come at 11 and hear the cantata, which is amazing and awesome. So just can put that out there. So we, uh, we start on Palm Sunday, uh, and, and the story is set in Jerusalem. The name of the city means foundation of peace. Uh, Salam uh, in, in Arabic is peace. It's a uh, very familiar name. Some of you are very familiar. Some of you heard that before. Um, we, when you go to Africa, you know, uh, if you don't understand, Swahili is kind of a mixture of some of the native languages with Arabic. Uh, so it was kind of created as a, a lingua franca of, of the African continent. And, uh, and when you uh, go to bed at night, what, what people will say to you is Lala Salama which is uh, literally, you know, may you have peaceful sleep or may you be filled with peace as you sleep. So if you're ever over there and somebody says that to you, they're not talking about salami or having a sandwich. It's, it's basically, that's how they say goodnight, lala salama. Um, and it, it comes out of that peace, you know, foundation of peace. And it's interesting, Jerusalem, the, the foundation of peace, the city of peace, uh, which in the course of our world has seen more violence than almost any other place. So it's in that place that the story takes place, right? Uh, so I'm going to walk you through this story a little bit uh, so you kind of understand some of the connections. Um, when they'd come near Jerusalem, they'd reach Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Bethphage is the village that literally sits kind of on top of the mount, uh, and Bethany is kind of on the back side of it. Uh, Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, in Matthew's gospel, uh, as he puts this together, uh, you may not have picked up, but the, the language makes it sound like he's on a donkey and on a colt. And uh, I remember, you know, being a kid, did y'all ever go to, the, to like a rodeo or something like that when you were a kid and they had the trick riders and they were riding on two horses at once? That was the image I had when I was young of, of what this was like when Jesus came in. That's really not true. Uh, but I want you to hear the, the, the pieces of, of, of prophecy that connect with this. This is uh, uh, talking about the day uh, at the end of ages when, when God comes to remake 
the world. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall withdraw northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee by the valley of the Lord's mountain, for the valley between the mountains shall reach to Azal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. I mean, God stands on the Mount of Olives as it splits. And that's the place in which God comes and enters into Jerusalem to remake the city. If you go today um, in the Kidron Valley, which is the valley between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives, uh, where the, the Garden of Gethsemane and all those things are. Uh, when you see pictures of that, the, it will look like the side of the mountain is limestone, like we have out in the hill country. And it is to some extent. But what you're really seeing are, are literally tens of thousands of sarcophagi uh, with human bones in them because uh, the way they do over there is they let the, the flesh come off of the bone, then they gather the bones and they put them in these smaller boxes. And they're all on the side of the Mount of Olives waiting for this moment. So that when God returns and raises his people up, they'll be right there with him uh, on the Mount of Olives. Uh, and so they're, they're waiting for that day. So, so the, the, the picture, you know, remember that the king returns. Uh, when, when God comes, he comes from the Mount of Olives into the holy city. Um, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, when Zechariah does it, it gets clear in his language here, the way this translation comes across, that actually it, it, it's not on two animals, it's just on a, on a colt. But, but as that got somewhere in the translation, that got kind of scrambled coming across into Matthew's gospel. But here's the, the picture, so that, that Jesus coming from the Mount of Olives, riding into Jerusalem on the colt, is making a statement that all the people that knew these prophecies from Zechariah would have recognized. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They, they brought the donkey and the colt and they put their cloaks on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the roads. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, you know, as you, as you think about that story, there, there's probably, uh, in the midst of this story, there, there's probably some conversations that were going around about how this was going to happen because there's a crowd, gap. somehow the crowd would have had to know that something was going to occur. So there's, there's a word that went out to say, you know, this is something amazing is going to happen. You need to be here. Uh, there's probably a word that went out to have the colt ready for Jesus because, uh, you know, that, that's not something that you would just do. Uh, you, you know, if somebody walked up to your house and said, uh, you know, give me the keys to your car. And you said, why? And they said, well, the Lord has need of it. You probably wouldn't hand them your keys. You might make a phone call. 911, but you know, you probably wouldn't call. But, but, but in this case, what happens is that the cult is ready and it's prepared, and all this is set in place for this event to happen. It's, 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 uh, 
probably got some staging going on behind it. And even today, if you go, uh, there's, there's still a, a crowd that will reenact this on this day. And it's kind of dark to see in this photo. But in the center, you can see where the Dome of the Rock is. And of course, that's where the temple uh, would have been in Jesus' day as they come down and they gather on the mount and they begin to make their way into the holy city. And, and no one who was there would have missed the symbolism. No one would have missed it. When Yehu came back to his master's officers, they said to him, is everything all right? Why did that madman come to you? Talking about one of the prophets. And he answered them, you know the sort and how they babble. And they said, liar, come on, tell us. So he said, this is just what he said to me. Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then hurriedly they all took their cloaks and spread them for him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Yehu is king. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He's given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. I mean, when, when, when Jesus makes this event together, he's pulling together all these symbolic acts out of the Old Testament. And the crowd that's there, they know these. And they understand that he really is entering as a triumphant king into Jerusalem. A statement is being made, and they would have heard it. And then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now there's a reference again, here's reaching back into the Old Testament. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So, so you know, Jesus, again, he's, he's reaching into that as he walks in the, in the temple. Uh, people would come from a long ways, and, and they would want to make offerings. And so uh, instead of traveling with a, a dove or a, a sheep or a lamb, I mean, instead of trying to travel with an animal, what, what became common was there were people set up to do commerce there in the outer courts of the temple. And when you came in, you could purchase an animal for your sacrifice. But what had happened by the time of Jesus was that had become a thriving business, and so as people came, you know, one, if they came from areas where the, the coin of the realm was different than what was accepted in the temple, there were money changers there. And just as we do now, if you exchange money going in and out of a country, you know, people take a cut from that, right? Uh, and, and so they made a profit off of that. And sometimes that profit became excessive. And there were people selling animals. And, and, and because of the convenience of that, you know, there was a price on that. And, and sometimes the price became excessive. And it wasn't simply the practice, it was the abuse of the practice that Jesus objects to. Because all of a sudden, instead of the emphasis being on, on what the people have come to do to worship, uh, to make an offering, to be in prayer, uh, you've got this whole crowd of people there and the whole thing has become about making money. And Jesus reaches back to Isaiah where God promises that his house shall be a place of prayer for all peoples. And in that righteous indignation, in that righteous indignation, 
he overturns the tables and he clears the people and reminds them of what the temple is to be. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never even read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself? And again, Folks would have remembered, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouths of babes and infants. You have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. And they would have remembered. And they would have heard that this one who comes from the Mount of Olives and processes in as a, a returning king in victory and reclaims the temple as a house of prayer and claims the praise of those who sing him as this in Psalms, uh, to be the praise not simply of anybody, but to be the praise of the Lord. And they would have understood, they would have put those pieces together. They would have known what he was saying. And in that moment, <laughs> They expected certain things to happen. They thought perhaps he was coming to say, here I am, I'm ready to be king of Israel, and so let's go, let's throw the Romans out. Maybe he was coming to declare himself high priest of the temple and to reform the religious institution. Perhaps they were, were hoping that this was the moment when all of creation would be turned upside down. They all had their hopes. They all had their expectations about what he was supposed to do. And instead, he left them. He went out of the city to Bethany, and he spent the night there. Bethany on the backside of the Mount of Olives, the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, a village which really was of no major consequence. And that's where he goes. And in that moment when he does not meet their expectations, they begin to turn on him. So here we are on Palm Sunday going into Holy Week, into Monday, Thursday, the Last Supper, into Good Friday, the Crucifixion. And I, I promise you what will happen is the vast majority of Christians will choose not to worship on those days because they'll come on Easter because that's what we want. We want the party. We want the celebration. But we don't want the crucifixion. It's, it's always been amazing to me and it kind of puzzled me when I was a kid, but as I got older, I began to understand that, you know, the, the people of, of Jerusalem, you know, they all, they all had their ideas and their expectations, and, and Jesus seemed to be playing into it, and he seemed to be telling them he was there to do what they wanted, whatever that was, and whatever they had projected onto him, and, and then he, he left. He just walked out. 
You know, he, he could have done those things in that time, uh, you know, but, but, but now think just for a minute. If he had come in and he declared himself king of Israel and had taken over the country, I mean, how many kings have we had from then to now? I mean, how many of the Roman emperors do you remember? How many of them do we still worship or follow? How many kings do we still follow? How many kingdoms have risen and fallen in the 2,000 years from then to now? I mean, he, he, he could have done that, but, but in that moment, in, instead of being the eternal king with an agenda over all time and all space and all people, he would have become just this one's king or that one's king. You remember when, when Moses, way back when, Moses is in the desert and, and he meets God in the burning bush. And he encounters him and he's, he's walking up to him and, uh, and uh, he says, oh, wow, you know, God, if, they, if you send me, who, who do I say? What, what name should I give people? Who should I tell them? And, and God has already told him, you know, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You know, I'm, I'm the God of your ancestors and I'm your God. I mean, over, over time and over space. But, but, but Moses wants a name that he can give people. And so God says to him, um, I am. Or I, I am who I am. I, I will be who I will be. Yahweh. I mean, that's what the name means. I am who I am. In other words, I, I'm the one that's in charge of who I am, not you. <laughs> you don't get to decide who, who, who I am. You don't get to define me. I'm going to be who I'm going to be, just like I have been who I have been. And I was before you, and I will be after you. In other words, you don't get to decide who God is, what he looks like, what box he goes in. But God decides who you are, not vice versa. And, and on Palm Sunday, that's exactly what Jesus tells them when he walks out of town and goes back to the village of Bethany. You don't get to decide who I am. You don't get to define me. You don't get to put me in your box. I'm not here just for you. I'm here for all people in all times and in all places. It's not your temporary agenda that I'm here for. It's an agenda that stretches into eternity. And when he wouldn't do what they wanted, they turned on him. So, so let me ask you, as we go into Holy Week, let me ask you as you go into Holy Week, what kind of Messiah you're looking for? Yeah, Jesus, you can, you can be the Messiah as long as you back up my, my politics, my, my Democratic or Republican political platform. As long as that's happening, Jesus, you're my Messiah. Yeah, you're, Jesus, you're, you're my Messiah as long as you're making the American dream come true for me. I'm doing well. I got the cars I want. I'm in the house I want. My money's coming in good. I'm prosperous. 
Yeah, Jesus, you're my Messiah as long as my health is good and, and everybody's healthy and nobody's hurting in my family and I'm not having to say goodbye to anybody because they're dying. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, uh, you're my Messiah as long as my marriage is good and my kids are doing well and everybody's fine and everybody's happy. But if any of that doesn't happen, you're not my Messiah anymore. You ever find yourself saying, my God wouldn't do? My God? Is it about my God or is it about you being God's people? Jesus wouldn't let us put him in a box that day. He's not going to let us put him in a box this week. God's not willing to surrender the eternal kingdom for the kingdom of the moment. And, and, and as hard as that can be for us sometimes, there's also something wonderful in that. Because only the eternal God can meet this. A child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders. He's named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, Salam. So this week, are you going to shout Hosanna? Or are you going to shout crucify him? Let's pray. Mighty God, we confess to you, we come with all of our wants, all of our needs, all of our ideas about how things are supposed to be, all of our concepts that that, that if the world was, was the way we think it should be, that would surely reflect what you want. We co-opt your name behind our agendas. We demand that you support our ideas. We promise to follow you as long as you pour out favor on our lives and things are going the way we want them to. And then... When they don't, we become angry and bitter, and we turn our back on you. So hold us close this week. We would rather not deal with the darkness and the pain. Hold us close this week. We would rather not let you decide that you are who you are and we are your people. Hold us close this week that when the crowd says crucify him, we might still be able to cry Hosanna. We ask this in the name of our King, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.